So it is October 23rd, 2016. Our message today is called Work Week. How many of you had a work week this week? <clears throat> it's an interesting thing about a work week. Some people love Monday because it's the start of a new week. Others just as back to the daily grind, you know? I don't know where you're at in that process, but I do know that it is a process, and it's been going on as long as there is mankind. There were six days in which a man would work, and on the seventh day, he would honor his king, the creator of the universe, who had put him in charge of all things. Now, in our time, we've taken a two-day work week, I mean, a five-day work week and a two-day weekend. We have uh, muddled with these commands to the place where some of it is not as immediately obvious. And while we're sitting in October right now, in Israel, this moment, it would be the month of Tishri, the seventh month. So our calendar is not the same as the calendar of the people of God. How many of you already know that? If you had to count on somebody to keep track of time correctly, I would say it was those that first wrote the words, there was evening and there was morning the first day, not those that were worshiping goats while that was happening. So we're going to cover some things from a Hebrew calendar today, but I want to show you why we do that. Let's start with Romans 4 and uh, verse 16. <clears throat> Say, there when you were there. <laughs> Hallelujah. In Romans 4.16, we see these words. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Say, all all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us. He is the father of us. One of the things that we have been criticized for from time to time is ignorant people that are fruitless in their own life, and they want to find excuses to um, not have to apply the truths of what we're teaching they think that we place too heavy of an emphasis on those who were given the law. This would be a little bit like a younger brother looking at an older brother and ignoring all of the beatings that he took that you deserved. It would be a little bit like a younger brother looking at an older brother saying, you have nothing to instruct me about. Is there anybody in here who is a middle child? Can I tell you the number of times that you have been filled with a feeling of injustice just because you're in the middle overlooked? But what you have forgotten is that your parents experimented on the first child and you are benefiting from that. You got to see every time your brother or your sister did something and they caught a whipping. You got to see every time they did something and they got a blessing and you've learned from that and you're benefited by it. At least you should be. In Israel's history, we can look. The Apostle Paul actually says that they, uh, the things that happened to them were written down for us as an example. In other words, their life serves as an example for us. 
Would you like to see some of those examples today in the Word? By the way, at the end of this week, I will be back here teaching. But in between the two uh, Sunday meetings, we're going to meet with one association representatives from Chicago, from Washington, D.C., from Victoria, Texas, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, from Romania, from Cluj, Romania. And Zeke will have just returned from One Light Ministries in Indonesia. This is a historic week for us in more ways than we can mention. And I'm overwhelmed with it, uh, excited about it, and full of gratitude for this time that we have with you today. You know, when I look and see faces out there like the Arius's, or I see River show up here, River Parsons, or look and recognize what God has done in the Cook's lives to bring them here. See little Riley bouncing around on the back row and we see the miracles that are in this place and what God has done. How could we not be full of gratitude? How, how could we not? Have you ever been slapped hard enough during your work week that it's difficult to be full of gratitude? All you can see is the work before you. All you can see is what people did or didn't do that was uh, beneficial or not to you. Anybody work with a, a, a Martha, right? Like, I'm sorry, rather work with a Mary. So you're there doing all of the hard work and they're all floating around like a butterfly climbing to worship somewhere. I'm the only one that's ever worked with somebody like that. All right, now's the time to review some basics for you. You go to hell for lying in church just like stealing in church, right? So you're going to have to talk to me or I'm going to call you by name. So Justin, you ever worked with somebody who loafed a little bit? You ever been the one that loafed a little bit? How about that? Let's imagine that you got a six-day work week, but your boss tells you at the beginning of the week, if we don't get it all done, you're staying over. How excited would you be about that? You know a lot of people would not be all that excited about it. Can you imagine that then Friday came and after lunch you're looking around and you don't even see your coworkers? You saw a neat little pile of clothes folded there as a testimony to the fact that they once worked with you but now we're somewhere else? Look, we, we cannot give up until the work week is done. And then we won't have given up, we will have won. Turn with me to Exodus 12. What I put on the board here for you to see is seven digits. And I associated the month of the Jewish year with each digit. Let's go ahead and fill in the feasts that are here. If you want to know where they come from, you could read about them in Leviticus 23. You can read about them in Numbers 29. You can read about them in many places. But in the first month of the year is Pesach. This is Passover. Pesach is the very first feast. With Pesach begins unleavened bread. With unleavened bread also comes first fruits. By the time you get to the third month of the year, you enter into a feast called Shavuot. Shavuot is Pentecost. You skip Tammuz of 
in Ul, and you show up in Tishri, and in the month of Tishri, we have Rosh Hashanah, which is trumpets. You have Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and you have Sukkot, which is tabernacles. The Jewish people are as familiar with those holidays as when I say December, what do you think of? When I say November, what do you think of? Uh, If we talk about July, what do you think of? Independence Day. Now, the reason that we're putting these on the board is I recognize these months may not be familiar to you. But they're familiar to everyone who would be receiving this word of God. So when they get the letter of Matthew, they knew this. When they get the letter of John, they knew this. This was as common to the people that the Bible was written to as saying December and Christmas is common to you. In Gen- I told you Exodus 12. We want to go to Genesis 12. When you're there, say there. Abraham is the father of us all. He's the father of all who believe. Well, we want to look at the way in which Abraham started. Because in finding the way that he started, we may find out something about the way that we should live. Is that a reasonable conclusion to come to? Okay, in Genesis 12, starting in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's quite a promise, isn't it? If you divide those statements into each unique statement, you get seven of them. Make you into a great nation is one. I will bless you is two. I will make your name great is three. You will be a blessing, four. I will bless those who bless you, five. Whoever curses you, I will curse, six. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, seven. Did everybody in here catch all seven? They're written right there in your Bible for you. They have always been there. When God called Abraham, the first promise that he gave him is that he would make his name great. The seventh promise that he was given, I'm sorry, make him into a great nation. The seventh promise is that he would bless everyone on the earth. Anybody in here raise children? Raise your hand if you have children. We are growing in our children's church faster than any other area that we're going to have to start teaching on abstinence for, for married people. Anybody that's ever had children has experienced something called mission drift. You tell them, what I would like you to do is clean your room. And you come back two hours later, and what you find them doing is building a fort, right? And as you talk to them, they started to clean the room, but when they saw those neat little pieces, they couldn't help but make a fort. I mean, what kid could resist that, right? Am I the only one that has that problem? Okay. 
When God began with Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation. That was the first promise. There were a second step, a third step, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. But what it was supposed to result in is blessing everyone on the planet. What our churches have focused on today is becoming a great nation. They have focused on the ways in which you can personally be enriched. That is a place that the gospel starts. But that is not the place at which the gospel aims. The place that you begin is that God has blessed you so that you might aim outward and become a blessing to others. Preaching and teaching that focuses on blessing me only is by very definition immature. It is a place to start, but it is not the place that we're supposed to finish. Go with me to Exodus 12. When you get to Exodus 12, what we see in this chapter is a pretty unique passage. I want to put it for you on the screen in the ESV. It's our very first slide, Joy. And there's a reason for that. All of our Christian walks start with one idea. And that idea is that you personally would get saved. You personally would get sanctified. You personally would then move on to produce the fruit of salvation. There we go. Can y'all read that? Say, Pastor, I can read it. In Exodus 12, 3, God told our older brother Israel, tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the eighth day of this month, say this month, every man shall take a lamb. Say a lamb. Now, a lamb. Which one? Just a lamb. Go get a random lamb. According to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Say the lamb. The lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. In the original language, these definite articles are different. And so in your translations, sometimes they don't show up quite the same way. The ESV, the King James, uh, the New American Standard, most of them say something very similar to this. But I want you to notice the progression. On the 10th of Nisan, the very first month of the year, the place where everything would begin for you, you go select a lamb. Say a lamb. As you got that lamb and you brought it into your house, as you brought it into your house, what would happen is a lamb would become the lamb. Which one? The only one in my house. That one. That one over there. The lamb. You would be getting familiar with it. Maybe it's the 11th of Nisan now. It's not just a random lamb. It's the lamb that is in your house. As time drew near for you to have to kill that innocent animal so that death would pass you over, so that your guilt could be atoned for, it was not a lamb and it was not the lamb. It was your lamb. The process from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan was personalizing this. 
It went from a lamb that would take away the sin of the world to the lamb that was in the house to my personal lamb. Salvation is a process that is like that. You start off attending church looking for uh, a way. Then you find that there is the way. And then he becomes your very personal Lord of your life. In fact, sitting in here today, right now, we have people at various stages of that. We have God seekers in this room. People that feel themselves right with God, but they want to learn more. They don't know enough to know how wrong they are with God. We have others in the room that know the lamb in the house. They've been around it their whole lives. They're familiar with it, but their own pride has kept them from making that my sacrifice. And then we have a third group in the room that is intimate with the Savior, speaking with Him daily, being spoken to Him, by Him, to you daily, getting your instructions. If the Lord is not the Lord of your daily life, He is not your Lamb. He's just the Lamb in the house with you. What begins to happen during this time period, though, is you start to move. You start to move from the lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. Could we put John 129 on the screen? Listen to how John the Baptist announces Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look or behold, it's, a, it's an explanation drawing attention. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that is beautiful. And that Lamb does take away the sin of the world. But there is also a time in your life when you realize not just you, but everyone in your house is guilty. Every single one. I want to read you a verse from Exodus 12. At Exodus 12, beginning in verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you. Say for you. On the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, say see the blood. See, he stops being a lamb. He stops being the lamb. And he becomes your lamb when you realize you and everybody in your house are guilty. But God is looking at that lamb's blood and not at your guilt. Oh, how beautiful is it when you realize that God is not as interested in condemning you as saving you as long as you come to terms with the fact that you're guilty already. How beautiful is that? There's a transition that takes place from a Savior to the Savior to my Savior. Abraham had an experience with God. That experience taught him something. He, number one, was going to become a great nation. But number seven on his list was that he would become a blessing to everyone in the world. His testimony would never be that he was a great man. His testimony would be that he came from a house of idolaters in Ur of the Chaldees, but God spoke to him, he obeyed, and that changed everything. His testimony would not be of one who was always right with God, it would be of a man who heard God's voice, obeyed, and was credited with righteousness. Amen. This is what our lives are supposed to look like. 
So in Exodus 12, we have that outline for us. The next thing that happened was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When you look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this would be because you personally had been excused of guilt. It was expiated. Death passed you by. You began searching in all the rest of your house. Say, search my house. How many of you clean a little differently if the pastors are coming over for dinner? Anybody put up your DVDs? Anybody put your wine in the back of the the cabinet? Don't. I love wine too. Don't do that. Anybody in here, you know, look and go, well, my friends are coming over. Perhaps we should put that in the back. What if the Lord were searching your house this moment? How would you feel about that? What if he made an unannounced visit to your house? Would he find something that you're not all that proud of? Because this was a time to consider the precious nature of the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and then begin to search your house and make sure that your house was representative of what he was doing in your heart. Now, what if it's not just your house? It's your whole life. Could we put on the screen 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8? This was about salvation. And unleavened bread was about sanctification. Get rid of that old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Can you you surmise what some of the yeast in the houses in Corinth were? We live in a nation where Christian TV habits are exactly the same as the world's TV habits. We live in a nation where Christians participate in the exact same forms of entertainment that the world does. We live in a nation where we can bless God for being our Passover lamb that comes and takes away the sin of the world, but have so much yeast in our lives that we would be excluded from Israel We just don't search our houses to look at it. I was told this last week that somebody has been angry with me personally for a decade and in this church. How's that not yeast? A decade. Now, it was difficult, but it's not the first time that's happened. It's not even the tenth time that's happened. And it will not be the last time that happens. It turns out that when you start shining the light of the Lord in your house and as a result, everyone else's, people don't like it when you call something they value yeast that must go. And because they don't like it, they begin to point at you. Something is wrong with you. Yeah, have you ever not liked something somebody said so you didn't like them? <laughs> right? Like... You disagreed with a point they made, but found yourself not liking them personally. 
Don't tell me that that's not happened. We're in the political season right now. Whatever your party affiliation is, when somebody else strongly advocates for the other side of the coin, you have a hard time respecting them as a person. You start saying things like, how could anybody believe that, right? And before you know it, you're worked into a season of tribal warfare. We are supposed to love the conflict of that kind of challenge. We're supposed to love it because it causes us to search our house. It was not enough for the Passover lamb to save you from death. It also had to produce in you the desire to be holy, to have your house right with the Lord. The next feast would come three days after Passover began. And this is the feast of first fruits. This could be likened to Acts 26.20. Let's put that on the screen. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Let's talk about salvation for a minute. Are you covered under the blood of the Lamb? Now, you know, if I was just let off of a death sentence, I don't think I'd go, yes. Are you covered under the blood of the Lamb? Have you searched your house? Wow, we're having real trouble maintaining enthusiasm the same way that we have trouble walking in salvation. Have you searched your house? Are you going to go home and search your house? Is there fruit that proves the nature of your repentance? Not a certificate hanging on the wall, but the very first and best of what salvation has produced in you that you can wave as an example from your life before the whole world that says, this is the product of Jesus having saved me and there's going to be a whole lot more to come. See, this is what it means to be saved. It means that you're covered under the blood of the Lamb. It means that you are constantly searching your house so that the light of God's Spirit is constantly refining you. It's not a one and done. It's not a USDA stamp that now that you got it, you're good. It is a never-ending process. This was our scripture for the day that was in our bulletin and on the screens. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A never-ending... So what has God refined from you this week? Or did you take the week off? What has he refined in you this month? What did he show you now that I am born again, now that I am in love with him, this behavior has got to change. This would be a sign that you belong to him, that he's working in your life, that you are growing in the knowledge of him. And when you change it, When you do what he said to do, that is fruit proving your repentance. So let me ask, if you had to stop right here at the first feast, does your salvation stack up with the feast schedule that our older brother teaches us? Or would you be talking about things that are a decade, two decades, three decades old pointing backwards to a time when that once was true, but you've been sanctified every since. No need to change. 
No need to grow. No need to have God's light shine on your house. See, the real problem with religious people is they know that they were once sinners, but they no longer feel that they have anything left to change. So they stand and justify themselves while they walk in sin. But a person who is intimately acquainted when it is not a lamb, not the lamb, but has become your lamb, considers the precious nature of the blood that was shed for you daily and looks for what needs to go. Oh, it is a better... I'm, I'm telling you something better than what you're reacting to. But I'm going to be honest. I am used to giving a word that you have to think about and decide whether or not you like me because of the word that I gave. And my skin gets thicker every year as my beard gets longer. So I'm going to be just fine. The very next month is the month of Ayar. And this is an interesting time because the month of Ayar obviously is sandwiched between Nisan and Savan. This time period from the 15th here to the time when Pentecost happens is a time period of 50 days. What did the first 50 days of your salvation look like? Man, I was thinking about that earlier. How about 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15? Let's look at what it might should look like. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. If we took the number of hours that you were looking at the word, trying to work out your salvation in the first 50 days, and we compared it to the last 50 days of your life, is it growing or shrinking in your life? See, it is our job to not just be saved, but to learn how to be a blessing to the rest of the world. I've noticed something. Those who have criticized our ministry the strongest through the years happen to be the most fruitless. No disciples, no, no, no group of changed people in every city that they go. And it, it, it's actually a bit of a blessing that it's as obvious as to have a barren fruit tree criticizing a tree full of fruit. It makes it easy for us to understand that it's really not so much about us as it is about the searing pressure of the Holy Ghost that He saved you for more than just you. He saved you for a reason. So I want to ask you, do you know why you're on the planet? When you look in the Word, is it instruction for you on how to accomplish your task? Do you know why you are here or were you just happy to get saved? You don't know what you're saved from. You don't know what you're saved to. You just know that you're saved because you would be stuck in the very first part of the first month of the year if that were your understanding and that's not God's will for us when we're considering his will for us why don't we take this one let's look at acts 1 4 through 8 on one occasion while he was eating with them he gave them this command do not leave Jerusalem but wait say wait But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
after salvation, there was an empowerment that would come. There was something that was supposed to happen that was going to help you do your very best to present yourself as a workman qualified who handles the work of uh, uh, the word of truth rightly. Let's go to the next verse. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? When you say you got born again, were you clothed with power from on high? Did power from God so invade your life that you became a witness not just in your hometown, but in the neighboring towns? Not just in the neighboring towns, but the neighboring states, cities, countries of the world. Is there something working in you so powerfully, such a burning bright light, that you would start a house fire if you tried to put it under a bushel? See, it was never God's will for somebody to say, well, I'm saved and I'm just now a doorstop in the house of God. That was never his will. His will was that you would be empowered. Let's go to verse 6. So when they met together, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, before you get all excited with the golden-throned and purple-haired television and the kind of power that is causing gold dust to litter the floors, if you test it, it looks a lot like glitter, uh, and manna to show up everywhere, which, of course, is some old lady's saltine crackers, and gold teeth that you got in Mexico, but you're saying God put in your mouth during the service. Before you get excited about that, Let's look and see what kind of power was supposed to show up. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my... How many of you have a powerful witness? How many of you can say that your life is so supernaturally enabled that you are witnessing of God to everyone around you? Because I've noticed that the critics in this world, those who are are making problems for us. There's not an overwhelming number of people that are following their lives to be discipled. Were you supposed to be some kind of monument to the fact that a lamb died? Or were you supposed to be a living witness everywhere you go? So listen, take an honest assessment of your life right now. Are you supernaturally empowered to witness everywhere you go? Or could you use a greater filling from the heavens? Could you use a greater filling? Yes. If you could use a greater filling, then how do we get it? You are going to have to ask the God of heaven. And the thing that he loves about this is anytime his people are honest about their state, what they need, how they got in the condition they were in, he will meet them from heaven with his power. The one group of people that he will not meet with are the stubborn, prideful people that cannot admit they're wrong. They would rather God be wrong, you all be wrong, any of the fruitful be wrong than themselves. I would rather a thousand times over for me to be proven wrong before the whole world every hour of the day 
than to misrepresent Jesus. Do you know why? He's not a lamb. He's not the lamb. He became for me my lamb. Is he your lamb? There is a work week. And if you stopped on Sunday, if you never made it to Tuesday, then you have not completed the task. This work week moves forward. Let's look at 2 Peter 1, 8. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. When you get to Pentecost, Pentecost is about revelation coming from the heavens. That is the point of this feast. The point of Pesach was salvation. The point of Shavuot is continued revelation. The reason continued revelation is so important is when you are brand new in Christ, you're so busy trying to figure out how to be saved, how to get your life right, it doesn't even occur to you that God saved you so that you could bless everyone else on earth. All of your attention is on making sure your house is right. All of your attention is on making sure that you're producing fruit. You have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit for continued revelation to begin to have your eyes opened to the fields that are around you. You want to know how much revelation someone has. You can tell by how open their eyes are to the global need for Jesus. When you are myopic, me, Johnny, Susie, us four, no more. Lord, bless us, bless us. What we want, Lord, is your blessings. Lord, we got the prayer of Jabez in every room in the house. You are showing your spiritual immaturity. When what you want to hear is preaching about how you can be blessed, how you can confess wealth over your life, you are showing your spiritual, and you're stuck somewhere in the month of Iyar, but you've not made it to Savant. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until. That until meant that once you got something, it was going to show up. It was going to show up in a powerful way. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us, His divine power has given us everything. Say everything. We need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Verse 5. For this very reason. For what reason? This very reason. The fact that you were saved. The fact that he is sanctifying you. The fact that you have deeds that are proving your repentance have now gone to Pentecost and received the Spirit for this reason. Those of you who have his Spirit, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective. Somebody say ineffective. Ineffective. 
and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God's will was not just that you be saved, not just that you be empowered, but that you be effective. And he wanted you to see that you were being effective by an ever-growing faith, an ever-growing love, an ever-growing witness, a life that was anything but stagnant. So let me ask, have you had a major revelation this year? Have you had an earth-shaking, life-changing event in these last five years with Jesus? Or are you camping out on an experience that happened at an altar in a crusade somewhere? That was never supposed to define Christianity, ever. Neither was your confessions of wealth or your license plate that says you're an apostle or that you tithe. Those things mark the circus church. Those things mark those who are so far off base that they're preaching a gospel of greed to a bunch of little goblin-like children, but they are not dealing with the pure bride of Christ. Because the bride of Christ is covered in the blood, being sanctified daily as she walks, proving it with her deeds, being empowered from on high and never stops adding to what God is teaching her. She is in continued revelation all the time. Are you further right now than you were six months ago? Man, that's what it is to be in the will of God, to be growing in Him. One of the things that has blessed my life so much is while there can be old wineskins that I just don't know what to do with, no amount of preaching can break their hearts. I don't know what to do with because no amount of personal time does anything but create animosity. While we will always have goats hiding among the sheep, while that will always be there, we have something else. We have people who were once Wiccans that come into our fellowship, and inside of a year, they are setting the world on fire. We have people who were once darkness in every way that are so blazing with the light of God now, everywhere they go, people notice They can't help. There is a supernatural endowment. We have some in here that have struggled year in and year out, and they fought, but they're still here. And this year, in the last 10, 12 weeks, they made strides in areas they haven't made in a decade. We also have that life-changing power of God. And you know what? That is the affirmation that a ministry needs from heaven. That is the fruit that proves that you are in God's will. Every household should have that. Every ministry should have that. And every collection of ministries should have that. How is your inventory doing? Because you move from Savan into Tammuz. And when you moved into Tammuz, you had to put to work the revelation that you received. And there's a reason for that. By the time you get to Av, you're now two months deep without a feast. That's further than this time period here. In fact, you get to the third month without a feast. That's the longest time period in the calendar when you're not assembled with the people of God. Anybody ever had to be out of church for a few weeks? You were sick, you were in the hospital, some... 
I don't know. Better been something serious. It can be so difficult, can it? Like, I, I, we're, we're on a particular kind of fellowship schedule in, in our home. There are no nights off because we live for this. Uh, the Sutherlands and the Piros, they have no nights off because we live for this. We love to be in the Word. And when something happens and one of us is out of town or if the flu breaks out in the church or whatever, and we have to skip a night or two, it feels like we've missed a week or two of life. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? Yes. I want to talk to you for a minute about the desert between Pilgrim Feast. Pilgrim Feast, I'm going to circle, occur in the first month, the third month, and the seventh month. These are the times you would go to Jerusalem. This desert time period right here, <laughs> between this, this is long. This is hard time. This is, you're not seeing the great Hillel going up to Jerusalem. You're not meeting with your brothers and sisters in the same way. This is the time where you have to put into practice the very power of the Spirit that you learned at Pentecost. Anybody struggle during that time period? You know, one of the things that happens a lot is you have an amazing experience with the Lord. He sets you on fire. He packs your life with teaching and fellowship. And then he sets you somewhere that you have to put it into practice and begins to isolate you from the fellowship that has so supported your life. So that maybe instead of meeting every night, you're only getting to meet twice a week and it feels like it's killing you. At first, you think that you're being punished. Then you feel like you're being refined. In this month of Av, this fifth month, Israel had a particularly difficult time. Could we put on the screen 2 Kings 25, 8? On the seventh day of the fifth month, say fifth month. In the 19th year, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon... And uh, Nebuzardan, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem in the fifth month and the seventh day. How about Jeremiah? Put Jeremiah 52 and verse 12 on the screen. And I'll start to put this together for you. On the tenth day of the fifth month, which day? Tenth day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. Verse 13. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. If you see a conflict between those two verses, one said it was on the 7th, the other said it was on the 10th. Apparently he showed up on the 7th and started setting things on fire. By the 10th it was completely done but the rabbis say that on the ninth of Ab, Solomon's temple fell. You ever had something that you love burned down? You ever had some work that you did for the Lord desecrated? My God, there is no pain like that in all the world. You watch a disciple who you saw get born again, saw get filled with the Holy Ghost, water baptized. Do good for seven or eight years. Slowly start to hide sin. 
get involved in things that overcome them. Words of knowledge. The scripture itself. Prophetic warnings. Nothing seems to be able to get them unblinded. They fell in love with the world and are now overcome by... Man, you, you don't know grieving like that. It's been a tough few months. It's been a beautiful blessing, but a tough few months. And those that don't understand it never produced much. So you've never had much to lose. But once you've done something for the Lord, like build the temple, to watch a foreign nation come and take it down brick by brick, can you imagine how that felt? That happened around 586 B.C. Do you know what else happened on the 9th of Av? The second temple also was destroyed in 70 A.D. Is that incredible? That in 70 A.D. the Romans would actually destroy the temple on the same day that the Babylonians had destroyed the temple before. Is that an incredible thing? When the Jewish sages began to look backwards... They calculated that the day that they came to the Jordan River and were supposed to cross into the promised land but decided that the spies' report was too big for them, the day they did not cross into the promised land, also ninth of all, is if two temples in the promised land were not enough, something else happened in the 130s A.D., they're tired of being under the Roman boot of rule. And a guy named Bar Kokhba, means son of, uh, of the star, arises. And they say, maybe he will deliver us. And he begins what's called the Second Jewish Revolt. You want to know what day their last battle was on? They were completely defeated at a place called Bethar on the 9th of Av. They said that the Jewish bodies were piled so high that the Romans no longer had to fertilize their fields. Think about that. It's an incredible thing. You've been through some trials. One year after the defeat at Bethar, they came back and where the temple once stood in Jerusalem... They went over it with plows. As if to say, not only is your temple not standing, even the ground beneath it now no longer bears the resemblance of what once stood there. Not enough to kill your work. We want to erase the memory of it. That's one, two, three, four, five pretty major things that happened to them during Av. Have you had a tough life? somewhere after getting born again, somewhere after walking in sanctification, trying and producing fruit, you began to receive revelation, but as you got out there to put it to work, you just received one punch in the face after another. No matter what you did, how many ever times you tried to fly, you seemed to trip on your cape and fall on the ground, covered in what feels like disgrace. Am I the only one out there? that has experienced the wrath of Av? We have a slide I want to read you from the Jewish sages. And um, five misfortunes. This comes from the Mishnah. You can see the reference at the bottom. Five misfortunes befell our fathers on the ninth of Av. On the ninth of Av, it was decreed that our fathers should not enter the promised land. 
That's probably their greatest defeat in history. The temple was destroyed the first and the second time. Bethar, that was the city where they, they had the second Jewish revolt's final battle, was captured and the city of Jerusalem was plowed up. This went down in their history as the five greatest shames. And it happened after their empowerment. Have you been tricked into believing that God is the God who saves you, but now it's kind of up to you? Friends, he's not the God of the one-time salvation. Not even the two-time salvation. He's the God who saves you daily as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He is the God that year in and year out is there watching between the fourth and the sixth month because he has good plans for you if you can simply stand your ground. Let's take that next slide. Uh, that's how we reconcile the dates. It's how they came up with the ninth of Av, not being the seventh, not being the tenth. So the idea is that here, are these things bad? Would you like a couple more just so that you know it? I mean, does anybody like history in here? Would it surprise you that England in the year 1290 threw every Jew out of it? England purged itself of all Jews in the year 1290. Do you want to know what date? Ninth of Av. When I say 1492, what do you think of? Columbus, the same year that Columbus was said to discover America, Spain threw every Jew out of it. 1492, and did it on the 9th of Av. Can I say that Av's been a rough time for the Jewish nation? How many of you have heard of a little thing called World War II? Most people believe World War II is the direct result of the failings of World War I. In other words, because Germany was treated the way they were with reparations after the war, they were so embittered that it really just, like a bitter root, uh, smoldered under the surface until World War II. World War I began with Germany making a declaration of war on Russia. It happened in 1914 on the 9th of Av. Now, who suffered in World War II more than any other people group? Jews. They look backwards and say, World War II is just an extension of World War I, which began on the 9th of Av. This is an incredible thing. What Av does to the Jewish people is it causes them to go to a time of reflection, a time of prayer. It's a time when they have to get their head screwed on right and see whether or not they're doing the things the Lord has said. Could we put Isaiah 26, 18 on the screen? We were with child. We writhed in pain. But we gave birth to the wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to the people of the world. Listen to the heartache in this statement. They're saying, we experienced Passover. We were covered under the blood of the Lamb. We got baptized in the Red Sea. We followed the leading of the Spirit at the cloud uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night. We got fed manna from heaven. We got fed water from a rock. But somewhere between the fourth and the sixth month, we lost our way because we've not brought salvation to the world. 
Let me ask you, are you in the month of Av right now? Or is salvation in you producing everything that it's supposed to produce? See, if Christ be in you, if he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, shouldn't that show up in a walk that is just changing the world around you? Everybody in here just about said you wanted to be filled with more of him. Why? So that you're more blessed? Or so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world? See, Av was a time period where they could look and examine their own failures as a nation. What that did for them was it, it set a time period of fasting and mourning every year. A time period where they could look and go, we do not want to repeat those mistakes. Can I share with you a horrifying scripture? Let's look at Matthew 24, 10 through 12. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. They don't just turn away. What do they do? Hate each other. Man, when you see the seedlings of that in your life, when you become convinced that your problems in life are not the enemy, they're not the failures that happen on the ninth of Av, your problems in life are probably somebody else in this room. Look at the track that you're on. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Somebody say most. most. So 100,000 people get saved. What does it look like when most of them grow cold? Is most 51,000 or is most 90,000? I don't know. Most is the greater majority though. Are you in the greater majority? You know, if you never even made it to empowerment, what on earth makes you think that you will make it to the end blazing hot? You're not hot now. See, off was a time when you could look and go, let's take an honest assessment of where I'm at. And as they contemplated on their failures, something else began to happen. They realized they were still here. Let's put 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4 on the screen. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance. You can't boast about perseverance if there's nothing to have to persevere through. Who in here would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I've been through some stuff? Come on. Been through some stuff. Chris, you raised your hand. You've been through some stuff. Wife's pregnant now, got a few kids, a new business. Life's on fire for the Lord. But you've been through some stuff, right? But Chris is still sitting right here. Doesn't that say something? Anybody in here battled an addiction? <laughs> How many of you are battling lying right now? If you ever sinned and you were a slave to sin, and if you sinned, you were a slave to it, you had an addiction. So don't look down your nose at somebody that's got an addiction to a needle. You just had an addiction that didn't leave marks on your arms. It left marks on your soul. Let's talk for a minute. If you're still here, despite the enemy's seven attempts to kill you during Av, what does that say about the grace of God? Does it say that your proficiency has done it? Does it say that your very great art? Oh, I know. 
because you invested well, saved well, and have been an upright moral person your whole life. Now that person's deceived and doesn't know it. But the person that sees their condition and says, but praise God, I'm still here. Oh man, that's something God can work with. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance in faith in all your persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are. Anybody in here suffering a little bit? If you're suffering some and enduring it, it is proof that you're being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those of you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. Verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. You can sit and count the times that your house was being torn down. You can sit and count the times that your promises were being torn down. You can sit and count the times you tried to speak up and ended up shutting up. Or your life was plowed over or you were no longer welcomed at the family gathering. But all that matters is you still stand. And that is evidence that God is with you. Because you still Stand. This took them into the month of Ul. Somebody say Ul. That's not a pretty name. Ul. I don't like to say Ul. Ul. <laughs> During the month of Ul, they focus on ten days of awe. You know when we were singing earlier, bright-eyed and mystified? When we were singing, may you never lose your wonder? All is a time period where they're looking going, we haven't done right, but you've done right, Lord. We haven't gotten it right, but you have been right, Lord. Lord, during this time period between empowerment and what's coming ahead, we know that you've been right and we haven't gotten it right. And Lord, we're longing for something. Rosh Hashanah is a, is a time period where a trumpet is going to blow. The idea is that there would be a renewed call of God in your life. Man, have you ever been beat up by Av enough you just needed to know your father still loved you? Come on back corner of the room. To, did you ever been beat up enough that you knew that you needed God to reaffirm to you His love? You knew nothing was wrong with Him, but you worried maybe you had messed it up enough that it just wasn't salvageable anymore. The Feast of Trumpets was an initiation to the world. It said, you know what? There is still a God in Israel. The king of the sheep still sounds his voice in Israel. You can still hear a clear God in Israel. They've been knocked down. But they're not out. In John 14, look at verse 26. But the counselor, 
The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will... And will... You need to be reminded of the things that Jesus has said to you. You need to be reminded. The Holy Ghost uses the trumpet call of God to remind you that you were once darkness and he saved you then. Do you really think now that you belong to him he won't save you now? Oh, come on, let's get real for a minute. As bad as some of you may be in the, the kind of shape that you're embarrassed of, is it really worse than when you were lost? See, if he saved you when you were his enemy, how much more do you think he'll save you now that you love him? Oh, come on. Somebody say, Pastor, that's good. good. Now look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, that's good. You may have given up on him, but he hadn't given up on you. His people have had their buildings burned. They've been thrown out of civilized nations. They've been hunted by the followers of a pedophile prophet in their satanic book, the Koran. They've been hunted all over the world because of it. At times, they have let go of their grasp of God. But he hasn't let go of his grasp of them. He's not done with Israel. He's not done with you. That ought to be good news for you. Now, if Rosh Hashanah is a time of a renewed call, Yom Kippur is a time of a renewed repentance. This means now that you've contemplated God, now that you have seen that He's still full of wonder and that you lost some of your sparkle, it wasn't so much something that He did, it was your lack of following through. Something happens. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. Look at verse 11. See what godly sorrow has produced, say produced. produced. What earnestness. When you repent, did it show up in earnestness? What eagerness to clear yourselves, eager to get it right. What indignation over evil. What alarm over sin. What longing for the Lord. What concern for the truth of His Word. What readiness to see justice done. See, this cycle happened yearly. Every year. Every year it was just as long between Savan and Tishri. And every year they had to relive the events that they had failed in in the past. And guess what? Just like you, they were adding new events to the month all of the time. Am I the only one in here that is just disappointed with the way that I've behaved? Thrilled to death with many good things because of God's empowerment in my life. I am so disappointed that the prayer, Lord, change me, didn't happen all at once. It's still happening. Your commitment to that ongoing work of salvation in your life, though, it shows that he's your child and you're his child and he's your father. That's what it shows. This is why it said that he disciplines those that he loves. If he didn't love you, if you didn't love him, you know what you'd be doing? 
just finding fault with everybody else and feeling pretty good about your own life. It's a clear sign that you have futile thinking. But when you're concerned over your own condition, when your heart is broken, and the biggest issue being, you know, he didn't just save me to make me something great. He saved me because of every other person on the planet, and I have an obligation to them. You stop being so proud of your own life, and you start to look towards the lives of others. So let's make that shift now. I've been talking to you about your life. Do you have deeds that prove repentance? Were you covered under the blood of the Lamb? Have you searched your house? Have you been empowered? Now let's talk about what can be said about others as they relate to you. Are you a blessing to everyone that is around you? Are people getting saved because you got saved? Are people benefiting from the revelation that you received? Or are you camping out somewhere between the fourth and the sixth month going, you know, I don't need to renew my call. I did that already. I don't need to repent again. I already repented. Back at that time I was at the altar. Did you think that this was about you? It's an amazing thing. When Yom Kippur happened, the church got right. Israel got right. Can we put 1 Peter 4, 12 on the screen? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The idea of going from empowered through tribulation to a renewed call and renewed repentance is that judgment is occurring in your life so that you're right with God and can present Him to the world. Amen. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15. You don't have to turn there in your Bible. We're going to go to Numbers. But 1 Timothy 3.15. <clears throat> if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The pillar, say pillar. pillar. And foundation, say foundation, foundation. Of truth. The church, this local community, and all of the things that it's connected to around the world, when it is right with God, when judgment has happened here, when you are persevering through of, you're hearing the renewed call, you become a foundation and a pillar of truth. Why? To save you? You're already saved. To represent truth to the rest of the world. Why do you think Satan is trying to corrupt the church the way that he is? Why right now do we have pastors evolving on their positions on gay marriage? Why right now do we have the kind of wickedness plaguing the church with greed that we have? 
Because if you can corrupt the pillar and the foundation of truth, what hope does the world have? There would be nobody for them to look at to get saved. How important is it that the people of God get right with God? Every year, Israel went through this process. Now, I'm sure for most it became just like 4th of July to you. You're probably not celebrating Independence Day as much as the fact that you don't have to work and you get to eat barbecue, right? Probably becomes very much like Christmas. We say it's about Jesus' birth, but it's really about our materialism. But what God intended with these things is that your Christian walk would never become old. It would always be being renewed. Could we read Psalm 84 and get to verses 1 through 4? Say there when you're there. How lovely is your dwelling place. What is God's dwelling place? What is God's dwelling place? My soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. How many of you yearn for the courts of God? Look, it's 1230 and the best is yet to come. So I'm asking you very honestly. How many of you yearn for the courts of God? If you're here out of some sense of obligation, you probably are not yearning for God. But those of us that are yearning for Him had the depths of of in our life. And now that God has renewed the call for us and we're walking in repentance, all we want to do is make sure that we never end up back here. You know, it might be different for some of you that have never been saved. But having been saved, knowing the goodness of God and fouled it up, gotten off track, and He renewed your call, oh man, I yearn for Him. Verse 4, 3. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. The idea that missions is for the birds, it is. It is for the birds. God cares enough about this planet that He wants even the sparrow to be close to His presence. Anybody remember the old song, If His Eye is on the Sparrow, I Know His Eye is Upon Me? See, this was supposed to be encouraging to the people of God that if He cared for a sparrow, how much more are you? Let's look at Matthew 10. We'll put it on the screen for you. 29. Matthew 10, 29. Jesus picks up on this thought. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, let me ask. If you're saved and you're right with God, But God cares about the sparrow. Are you supposed to care about the person in the foreign land? Are you supposed to care about your neighbor? Has your life drifted towards you and what your family is doing? Or is your eye on the worldwide harvest for the Lord? See, 
The thing is, is most pastors, most churches, they're completely happy as long as the people are silent in tithing. We could never be happy in here unless your eye is upon what God's eye is on. And do you think he just numbered the hairs on your head? Or do you think he cares about the hairs on the heads in Indonesia? Do you think he cares about those in India? How about those that never heard there is a Passover, much less had a chance to be empowered and then not walk right with God? How could we pray for the second coming of the Lord when half of the world doesn't know he came the first time? You know how you can do that? When you're selfish and stuck somewhere in month one but claiming you've completed the program. It's like the guy who was supposed to work and complete the task. And Friday, you found this Nomex suit neatly folded in the corner. He called it a day and said he went home. We cannot stop until the work is done. One of the things that we're doing this week is encouraging the churches that we're associated with that the work is not done. So while we've been speaking about you, there's two ways you can reflect on your life. One is, are you right with God? And then secondly, are you right enough with God that it's affecting the world around you? See, because that's the ultimate goal. Why did God save Abraham? To bless everyone on earth. Why did he save you? To bless everyone. By the time you get to the, the first month is about Abraham being saved or you being saved. But the seventh month is about blessing everyone on earth. Is that where your focus is? Or is your life still mostly about you? Do you talk about your happiness? Do you talk about your activities? Do you talk about you? You ever ask somebody how they're doing? And you can tell they're not doing well before they even answer? When's the last time you said, hey, how are you doing? And somebody responded, people are getting saved everywhere. Do you think maybe we're using the wrong criteria? Do you think when I ask Andrew how he's doing, I really ought to ask something more along the lines of how is God working through you? Maybe we have way, way too much emphasis on us as the goal of our own faith. Did you think that you got born again so that you would be happy? How happy do you think Jesus felt in the garden while he was being pressed with the weight of your sin? Do you think, would you describe that as joy unspeakable? It was for joy that he endured the cross, scorning at shame, but that's the joy that would come when the job was done. Not joy that he felt right there. We have declared the finish line the starting line. We've, we've started in month one and declared it month seven. Turn with me to Numbers, verse, uh, chapter 29. Numbers is all about the Feast of Tabernacles. The seventh feast. The people of God are now right with God. They have a renewed call. They're standing in repentance. And so 
something happens to them. God tells them that they're supposed to carry around portable dwellings with them. They're going to commemorate the time where they started. Do you know what a mature Christian life looks like? When you're beyond just talking about what you need, and now because of what God has done for you, you want to show other people that it can be done for them. See, tabernacles is a way of saying, you know what? We once were dwelling in portable dwellings, a wandering people just set free from slavery. Now we're a people that are right with God in our own land, doing well with Him. And if He did it for us, He can do it for you. The six-day work week has now produced a day where they solely stand for the Lord as a representative to the whole world that says, Israel was the first, but you can be next. Would you feel supernaturally empowered to witness if that was your testimony? Everything that he's done for me, he will do for you. Or are you still kind of embarrassed of what's not been done for you? And you don't feel right with... What explanation could there be for a lack of witness in your life? What explanation could there be for not witnessing in any one day? Let's, let's just drill down on that for, for a second. We're already long and I'm going to go longer. So we might as well just put the heat on you about it. On what day is God not interested in saving the rest of the world? Oh, Anybody? A day, is there a day he's not interested in saving the rest of the world? No. Is there a day that you weren't interested in saving the rest of the world? Then how right with God can you be? Do you see how easy it is to drift into our own priorities? Yes. This is a time period where we can grab the priorities of God. When you look at what happens in the seventh feast, the seventh feast... Is seven days long. And on the seventh day, it's called the great day. I was going to take apart these sacrifices for you and probably don't have time to do it. But they start on the 15th of Tishri. You know what's interesting about the 15th of Tishri? It's exactly six months after salvation came to them. Six days a man would work, and then he belongs to the Lord. It's exactly, it's not close, it's not sort of, it is exactly to the hour, six months from the day that they got right as a nation, right? On the 15th day of Tishri, they would sacrifice animals, and they started with an odd number. Say 13 is an odd number. And then on the 16th, they sacrificed 12. And on the 17th, they sacrificed 11. And on the 18th, they sacrificed 10. And on the 19th, they sacrificed 9. And on the 20th, they sacrificed 8. And on the 21st, which is the seventh day of the feast, they sacrificed 7 bulls. 7th feast, seventh month, seventh day, and they sacrifice seven bulls. Can you say God is fascinated with sevens? 
When you add up the number of bulls that they sacrificed, somebody say, that's a lot of bull. That's a lot of bull. Now say it with a smile. Pastor, that's a lot of bull. It's 70 bulls. Do you know how many nations the Jews say there are in the world? Having gotten the people of God right, they turn their attention to every nation in the world. That was the point. And what did they say? They said, look, we're dwelling in temporary dwellings, commemorating what we used to be. And now our God has put us in the land and made us right with him. And if he did it for us, he'll do it for you. That was a witness to the entire world. It was such a big witness. Do you know what it cost to have a Passover in Israel? If you take 600,000 people and the price, uh, men, if you took 600,000 men and you assume each one of them has a family, it's about $170 million worth of Passover lambs that were killed in today's dollars when they left um, Egypt. That's a bunch, huh? Now, that was the price of their salvation to be covered in that. Interestingly enough, the price of those bulls uh, and the other animals that were killed on tabernacles is not 170 million, it's 1.7 million. Now, there's a reason. When you look at those, and there's 199 animals killed on that day, just burned up. When you look at that, that 1.7 million, there's a relationship between their salvation and your salvation. If you look at it, what we have really is this is 1% of this, right? Another way to say it is these are the 99 sheep and this is the one. He's not just interested in the 99 that he's already got. He's interested in the one that he doesn't yet have. The further you look at the plan and the heart of God, Luke 15 is all about a man who has 99 sheep but gladly sets them aside and goes after the one who is strayed. His heart was never about just saving Abraham. It was about blessing the whole planet. What is your life about? I think probably the best thing for us to do would be look at John as we close. Because Jesus picked a very special day. In John 7... You find out in verse 2, but when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, you find out that Jesus picked the Feast of Tabernacles to do something. Now, on the Feast of Tabernacles, not only did the people dwell in booths, but they went each day and they drew water out of the pool of Siloam. And they drew it in a golden pitcher. And then they went and poured it into 12 earthen vessels. It was symbolic of the wells, wells of salvation that Isaiah spoke about and God pouring his self into the 12 tribes. Somebody say, that's cool. 
they did that every day for seven days. And on the seventh day, it was called the greatest day of the feast. It was at that moment that in John 7, 37, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Does that express his desire for the nations? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Look at 39's explanation. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The people there were seeing this repeated seven days in a row, every day. But on the last day, Jesus Christ showed up and said, Come to me and drink. Now there is an eighth day to this feast. In John 8, Jesus goes into the temple. When he's in the temple, John 8 places him in the court of the women. On the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast is actually seven days long, the eighth day commemorates it. The people have to do something with their branches, their temporary dwellings. New Ungers Bible Dictionary, it says they did something with them. It says, when the seventh day was over, after the, the earthen vessels were all filled, they all went back to their houses. They rejoiced that they had a permanent dwelling place with God. But now their attention was focused on the world. They no longer dwelled in this perilous existence. They were standing on the firm rock that is God. But they had to do something with those branches. It was their testimony. On the eighth day, they went into the temple into the court of the women where the priest had these giant golden menorahs that were burning for the whole world to see and they made torches out of their temporary dwellings and they let their light shine before the whole world so that they from Jerusalem could cast a light around the world that salvation was complete in Israel and it could be done for the nations as well. Now, many of you would know that in John 8, Jesus stood in that very place and said, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. So let me ask, it's just that time. Are you ready to light your testimony on fire for the whole world? Are you still so obsessed with what you need? What you have to have? What you have to give? That all you can do is point to it as my lack, my lack, my lack. Lord, give me more, give me more, give me more. The only reason he gave Abraham anything was that Abraham would bless the world. Why do you think he is giving you anything? Do you think that he's saved you solely for you? Do you think that he blessed you? How many of you got a place to sleep tonight? Wow. Every person... How many of you know that there's food when you get home? How many of you have clean water to drink? You know, you're already separated from about 70% of the world with those statements. Do you think he gave you the things that he gave you for you? 
Or were you supposed to stand with a testimony on fire for the rest of the world so that they might be saved? This is the 99 well-fed sheep right here. 99. Are you well-fed? If you're not, then I can continue to teach. Are you well-fed? How much more do you have than the average person understands about the Lord? Can you really afford to be silent any longer? Okay, it's the last thing that I want to share with you today. There is something that the Lord does in you, for sure. That happens right in the beginning. He saves you. He covers you uh, in His blood. He moves you to want to be sanctified. We, we, we know what that's like. That's the salvation experience. But there is a work that can only happen as you become a tool that he is using. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? There's only so much of Christianity that can be experienced from you simply receiving from the Lord. The mature part of Christianity is now that you've received, you are doing something for the Lord. Do you think maybe some of you have hit that ceiling because you're always asking but never doing? There is no way to grow like you will grow in the kingdom when you step out in faith and you try. How much effort does it take to light your torch on fire? You know, there was one source that said the priest took their old garments, the garments that they didn't need anymore, like they they got new vestments, and they made torches out of the branches that the people carried and their old garments. What if you stood and said, you know what? I was empowered, and after I was empowered, I went through of, but the Lord didn't abandon me, and I won't abandon Him. I now stand here Renewed, not for the first or the second time, but for the 10,000th time. I've heard the trumpet call of God. I stand right with Him. And no matter where you're coming from, who you are, I want you to know that it can happen for you. What if that was the testimony that you carried? How many of you would like to carry a testimony like that? Stand to your feet.